We are back. And in this hour, we're talking to Michael Hardaway. He's the former communications director for House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. He also uh, is still an advisor to the minority leader. And coming up a little later in the show is LA Times columnist Erica Smith. Today, it's all about the Congress and the Senate. Uh, We saw in the U.S. Congress a vote to oust Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. And today also, LaFonza Butler was sworn in as the new California senator replacing Dianne Feinstein. Uh, Let's start with you, Michael. First, welcome and thank you for spending some time with us this afternoon, helping us make sense of what we all witnessed, uh, many of us witnessed, and those that did witness it will hear about it for the next 24 and 48 hours for sure. But uh, unprecedented, in the 100-year history of the Congress, we have not seen a speaker be ousted. Particularly, we have not seen a junior uh, you know, congressperson take on someone in senior leadership like a speaker, Matt Gates, leading the charge to oust Kevin McCarthy, Democrats voting uh, as one unified bloc, and then 11 or so Republicans voting with the Democrats. And now we don't have a temp- we don't have a permanent speaker uh, in our U.S. Congress. Help us understand what that means and what we witnessed today in terms of those votes. Well, it's been quite the day. As you mentioned, this is historic. It's never happened before. And so, you know, you have this situation where the speaker to actually get the job in January agreed to these sort of arbitrary rules where any one member of Congress could recall him and have a vote on his speakership. And that's what ultimately did him in. And it's something that we all uh, in politics have been waiting on because we knew this day was coming. I think the smart money said that this was bound to happen somewhere around the government shutdown talks. And so what you saw today is no real surprise. And I think Kevin McCarthy probably was the least surprised of them all. And so at this particular moment, you have a temporary speaker and Patrick McHenry, who is head of the House Foreign uh, Financial Services Committee. And he's also an ally of Kevin McCarthy. And so Kevin McCarthy, before today's vote, created a secret list of his allies that he would want to take over if he lost today's vote. And so McHenry was at the top of that list. And so now he is temporarily speaker. Now, since this has never happened before, there (laughs) are no House rules that say when a vote will take place. And so we're not quite clear when the next vote will take place for the speaker. And so until that happens, Patrick McHenry will be speaker of the House uh, temporarily. And so we'll see how this unfolds. I think for Democrats, it's a great thing because it just shows how chaotic the Republican side is and should be beneficial for Mr. Jeffries and for Democrats and President Biden in the election. And for House Republicans, they have some real soul searching to do as it relates to if they can come back together and be on the same page. I think that uh, remains to be seen. Well, the Democrats under Minority Leader Jeffries uh, getting a lot of credit today. Credit because we know Democrats are not a monolithic group, and you Mm -hmm. have lots of them from different districts that have different interests. But they stay together, meaning that they all voted uh, with one voice, even though some of them were talking about perhaps trying to strike a deal 
with Republicans trying to extract something for uh, from Kevin McCarthy, i.e., uh, the former speaker, that would have allowed them to uh, basically save his leadership position. But ultimately, it was Minority Leader Jeffries that I. I are we to assume he made the decision that no deals would be made? Is that right? How that so works? they had a meeting this morning that went for about two, two, two and a half hours. And uh, in that meeting, Mr. Jeffries took the temperature of his members and they had a very long conversation in terms of all the options. And they came to a consensus that they should stick together and they should support the ouster of this particular speaker. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, this isn't necessarily necessarily political in that Kevin McCarthy's biggest problem is that he wasn't useful. Not only did he not agree with the Democrats, but he wasn't able to control his members. And he really wasn't able to get things done in a way where working with Mr. Jeffries to pass legislation was possible. And so from the Democratic perspective, you not only have this chaotic speaker, but you also have someone who's not a real partner to work with on getting anything done. And so obviously the Republicans didn't like McCarthy, but the Democrats <laughs> just found him useless. And so that was a detrimental combination uh, that led to what you saw today. Well, many people wondered if uh, Mr. Jeffries could uh, handle the job. And, if you know, he was stepping in some pretty big shoes, Nancy Pelosi's shoes. And I think they... For all of those doubters and naysayers, he proved himself more than worthy or more than capable, I should say, of, you know, handling the role as minority leader and clearly, uh, hopefully, majority leader the next time we have an opportunity to, to, you know, vote in new Congress people. But what does this mean going forward? Does this temporary speaker have all the powers of a permanent speaker? And do you believe that he might be more amenable to working with Mr. Jeffries in a way that Kevin McCarthy was That's not? That's an excellent question. Uh, to answer your question, the first question, yes, he has all the powers of the speaker temporarily. And what's interesting about McHenry is his name was floated to me in December uh, as someone who might be speaker and might be on the list of people who wanted to pursue the speakership. He ultimately did not, and McCarthy rolls to that. But uh, ironically, he ends up coming around and having the job temporarily right now. Uh, as it relates to whether he'd be willing to work with Democrats, I think he probably is actually a worse partner than McCarthy. And <laughs> that, uh, you know, McCarthy, at the end of the day, um, generally speaking, is someone that uh, has been reasonable at certain points. I think McCarthy, I'm sorry. McHenry is someone who is more of an ideologue. Uh, I don't know if you've seen, but in the past hour or so, he has written to Nancy Pelosi and ordered her to leave her office in the Capitol, which is something that is never done for the previous speaker. It's always a courtesy that's extended. And so I see that as McHenry trying to mark his territory and set the tone for what his speakership will be, uh, which is probably going to be one that it is divisive. And unproductive, because don't forget, you have in a month or a month and a half, you have negotiations again surrounding a potential government shutdown. And McHenry has to show that he's a real leader. And so that remains to be seen whether he can actually deliver there. Is McHenry, uh, you know, a part of what I'll call the Gates 
tribe? Is he a hardcore MAGA Republican that is closely aligned with Donald Trump? No, he is an ally of Kevin McCarthy. And so different camp, you know, it, as it relates to how he will operate as a speaker, I think that remains to be seen. In his role on the House Financial Services Committee, you know, he's been fairly reasonable, but that is a committee that doesn't really have much of a partisan bent. This job is significantly more different. And so it'll be interesting to see how he governs as speaker. Uh, but I have real concerns as it relates to his ability to lead his caucus. It's fractured now. And so can he end that civil war? Can he get everyone on the same page? Can he get them to vote for the same things? And can he do all of this inside of five or six weeks when we have to negotiate again to prevent another government shutdown? That remains to be seen. But it seems impossible for these Republicans to get on the same page, Michael, because you have the the you know the Gates eleven or the Gates nine ten however many it is mm -hmm. who are being controlled by Donald Trump mm -hmm. and who are never going to vote on anything reasonable like keep the government open that's why we're here mm -hmm. uh, and they're going to always demand outrageous things like defund the Department of Justice or cut you know uh, domestic programs by thirty percent versus more moderate Republicans that understand that to do the people's business, you have to compromise. So who, I don't know if there's a person alive that could bring these two, you know, factions together. And now you've had those uh, anti Kevin McCarthy lawmakers stand up on the house floor on national television and trash Kevin McCarthy Mm -hmm. in ways that we've not seen in the House ever before in recent history. So who, what kind of person would it take to bring these two factions together now that are angrier and more divided than ever? Well, it reminds me of that old fable about the frog and the scorpion. You know, like none of us should feel bad for McHenry or McCarthy or House Republicans today because Gates and his group of 11 have been this way for a very long time. They've just been able to ally themselves with McCarthy, but they have been, you know, sort of legislative terrorists for a very long time. And so, yes. you know, as it relates to what happened today is you just saw the tables turn on McCarthy, but for a very long time, he benefited from them acting this way. And so it'll be very interesting to see how this worked itself out. I would say to you that it is probably more beneficial for moderate Republicans for there to be Speaker Jeffries uh, than a Speaker McHenry or McCarthy, because ultimately, Speaker Jeffries is someone who wants to work across the aisle to get things done. He's not an ideologue. He's not someone who's there to obstruct. He would say, let's figure out a way to work together to deliver for the American people. I don't see that happening under Speaker McHenry and obviously didn't happen under Speaker McCarthy. Right. And because Kevin McCarthy changed the rules in the way that you said that literally one person can move to oust the speaker, it seems like in 45 days we're going to be back here uh, with unreasonable, ungovernable policies by the Republicans as it relates to keeping the government open. And if these MAGA Republicans don't get their way, whoever is the speaker will face exactly what Kevin McCarthy, they're going to hold this person hostage as well. And 
you know, is this our fate until we get to elections <laughs> next year and we can oust these amateurs, these provocateurs, these individuals who have no business being in these positions of power and who are not focused on doing the business of the people? Well, as Brother Malcolm once said, the chickens have come home to roost. And so, yes, to answer your question, this is how it's going to be until the election. And then the question will be, will these people be ousted by voters? C clearly, whatever you think of Matt Gates and his group of 11 and even Kevin McCarthy, people voted them into office. Yes. So the real question is, will those same voters reelect these people? And I would say to you, presumably, yes you'll see many of these people reelected to office. And so that will be incredibly interesting in terms of how the House Republican Conference looks when you've got this civil war continuing, you've got Donald Trump who will undoubtedly throw gasoline on the fire. And, you know, on the Democratic side, to your point earlier, you actually have unity uh, in a real way. And so voters will see that there's a contrast between the two parties probably now more than ever in recent history, uh, the question will be how that manifests itself in the presidential election. Yeah, I want to shift gears for a minute and ask you about this uh, Congressman Dean Phillips of Minnesota. Uh, he says he's going to step down from his leadership role and throw his name <laughs> into the, the, the hat, the ring, and challenge Joe Biden because Joe Biden is just too damn old. And I asked one of my contributors earlier, who is Dean Phillips? And he kind of chuckled and said, you know, he was a congressional aide and didn't know who the guy was. I presume, given the job that you had with Mr. Jeffries, you know who Dean Phillips is. So why is Dean Phillips doing this, knowing what's at stake, knowing that the Democrats need to stick together in the way that we saw them do today uh, for this upcoming election? Uh, even, uh, you know, some independent candidates who are running said ultimately if their candidacy will impact the race and, you know, cause Donald Trump to possibly win that they would even bow out. So everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of folks seem to recognize what's at stake here. What is Dean Phillips missing? I know Dean very well. I think he's an incredible guy who's well-respected in the house democratic caucus. Um, so I should say that first, he's someone who's very smart. He's someone who, is in Washington to get things done. He's also someone who is fairly new to Washington. He was a business guy. He ran a business and he came to Washington several years ago. And so President Biden has a real record to run on. I, I don't really believe in the rubber stamp thing, but President Biden doesn't, President Biden <laughs> doesn't need a rubber stamp. He's delivered on driving down inflation. He's delivered on historically low unemployment, historically low African-American unemployment. You've got all of these in incredibly positive economic indicators that he is responsible for. And he steered us through a once in a lifetime pandemic without going into a recession. So he's got a real record to run on. And that will be the reason he gets reelected. As it relates to Dean Phillips, I'm not quite sure why he would run other than, you know, I don't think he came to Washington to be there for 50 years. And so he probably is just someone who wants to do this to inject new ideas and maybe provide a different perspective. But President Biden has a real record to run on. Um, and I think that record has proven that he should be our candidate and he's earned reelection because whatever anyone thinks about his age, whatever anyone thinks about the way that he speaks, the record speaks for itself. And so that's why I think he should be reelected, which is that 
he, from an economic perspective and a financial perspective, and all the things he's dealt with, he's really delivered for us. And real quickly, the Congressional White Caucus wrote a letter to Gavin Newsom, governor of California, uh, encouraging him to appoint Congresswoman Barbara Lee to the Senate seat vacated when Dianne Feinstein passed away last week. Uh, he obviously uh, didn't do that. He appointed LaFonza Butler, labor leader, former president of Emily's List. Uh, some of the Congressional Black Congress people have since tweeted, gone on social media saying they welcome LaFonza Butler for this temporary assignment, but look forward to working with Barbara Lee. Uh, is the Congressional Black Caucus going to get behind Senator Butler, who everyone in California expects to run for the office since there are no preconditions on it and since, you know, she uh, will have incumbency status and has the ability to raise tons of money given her ties to the unions and Emily's list. So is the caucus going to fall in line? I think we have to look at this from the way that the Congressional Black Caucus views it, which is. Barbara Lee is beloved and very well respected. She's like the auntie that everyone loves. And so it makes perfect sense that they would write the letter and they would support her. I would say to you that in the interim, I expect them to um, support Newsom's pick. And ultimately, I think Newsom made this decision several months ago uh, because I think the consensus was that he would have to make this decision um, as it relates to placing someone temporarily in the seat at some point this year. And so he probably made this several months ago as it relates to the long-term sort of how this works itself out. I think the CBC supports whoever is in that role, but they have a personal love, appreciation, and respect for Barbara Lee. All right, I gotta leave it there. Thank you so much, Michael Hardaway, for your insights. Uh, we're gonna be watching very closely what happens with the appointment. Uh, obviously, of Senator uh, Butler, and who's going to be the next majority leader? See what happens with this chaos with the Republican Party. Uh, again, thank you for joining us. When we come forward, Erica Smith from the LA Times joins to talk about how Black women are feeling about Governor Newsom's appointment of Senator LaFonza Butler. Stay with us, KBLA Talk 1580. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Stand by. We are back. And in this hour, we are talking to L.A. columnist Erica Smith. She wrote a pretty scathing article about the process Gavin Newsom used to appoint LaFonza Butler as the replacement to Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, I've been talking about this throughout the entire show. I started by asking Congresswoman Waters uh, her reaction to the appointment and talked about it with uh, Michael Hardaway, who is a advisor to Hakeem Jeffries, and specifically was talking to Michael about uh, what appears to be a little tension with the Congressional Black Caucus, who had written a letter to Gavin Newsom urging him to appoint Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who happens to be running for uh, the position, asking him, did he think the Black Caucus would fall into line with Senator Butler, who, by all indications, is likely to run for the seat? A couple of tweets by members of the Congressional Black Caucus seemed a little snarky to me. <laughs> seemed like, uh, welcome, Senator Butler. Don't get too comfortable because that seat really belongs for Lee. So welcome, Erica Smith. Uh, you wrote your column before Gavin Newsom changed his mind mm -hmm. for like the 2500th time <laughs> about how he was going to make this appointment. 
And I, I love LaFonza Butler. Let me just fully disclose that. I've worked with her extensively. We've traveled together on union business. I went to a big conference. I've been a spokesperson uh, on issues of pay raises for home health care workers, given the work that I do around special needs uh, kids and families. And a lot of my uh, families have in-home health care workers, and we were fighting to get higher wages for them. Uh, I didn't see the appointment coming and I had to praise my friend while doing what you did. Talk about what a fiasco Gavin Newsom created with this appointment. So give me your initial reactions to Senator Butler and then let's talk about Gavin Newsom. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see, I guess like everybody else or most people anyway, I didn't see um, Senator Butler's appointment coming either. I mean, she was one of the names that was floating about, I think, on Friday and probably early Saturday. But it mm-hmm. was you know, somebody who was kind of way down the list, kind of as a, you know, a maybe, maybe possible. Um, you know, there were, you know, far more prominent, you know, names in electoral politics like, you know, mm-hmm. Shirley Weber and. Um, London Breed and a few others. But, um, you know, I was surprised. But, you know, from what I know of, you know, uh, Senator Butler, I mean, she seems great. I mean, she's done a lot for the state of California. Um, you know, everybody that I've talked to, you know, loves her, likes her, including people who are, you know, staunch uh, supporters of Barbara Lee. Um so she doesn't, you know, she's done a lot. She doesn't have a lot of, you know, enemies, I guess, so to speak, political enemies. And it sounds like she's going to be a great, you know, senator for the state of California. And I'm looking, really looking forward to seeing what, you know, she does. Um, I, I think it complicates, obviously, matters for, you know, uh, Congresswoman Lee and her campaign. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess we're going to have to see, you know, what happens with that. Yeah, I... <laughs> I I guess people have mixed emotions because there are a lot of people who are so supportive of Barbara Lee and so want her to have the job. But I wonder, do you think she really took herself out of the running for an appointment once she jumped into the race? That's, uh, you know, obviously one of the reasons Gavin Newsom said he was going to make the person a caretaker for the seat because he said he didn't want to tip the scales. In the election, because you have Adam Schiff, Katie mm-hmm. Porter, Barbara Lee running. Do you think Barbara Lee, you know, given Newsom's thinking about it and his promise to nominate a black or appoint a black woman, might have been better positioned to get the appointment had she not launched her own campaign? I mean, that's entirely possible. Um, you know, you know, I don't think that at the time that Newsom said that, which was what back in 2021, um, early 2021 at that, you know, that we all knew that, you know, late Senator Feinstein would, you know, be, you know, die in office or resign. I mean, her health was obviously not great at that point, but, you know, even on Friday, I think a lot of people were, you know, really kind of shocked that she had actually passed away considering she'd just been seen, you know, on the floor of the Senate voting. Um, So, I mean, I, I get what the Congresswoman did. I mean, I'm sure the advice of her advisors and jumping into the race, kind of not knowing what's going to happen, whether, you know, Feinstein would finish out her term or something else would happen. But yeah, I do think that, you know, it took her a little bit out of the mix, you know, as far as the governor's concerned, because as he said, he didn't want to put his, you know, he didn't want to tip the scales, I think, or something along, tip, tip the balance of the race or something like that. And of course, um, it also hasn't helped that the Congresswoman is not, you know, doing well in the race. You know, she's being, um, her polling numbers are, you know, the lowest of the three Democrats, you know, Adam Schiff and 
and um, Katie Porter are way ahead. And they're also way ahead in terms of fundraising. So I think it kind of took away the governor's ability to have justification to to name the congresswoman as to that appointment. So we know LaFonza Butler worked. She was uh, instrumental in running Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. Uh, when she actually worked for the political consultants, a Smith and Company out of San Francisco that have been closely aligned with Gavin Newsom for years, have run his campaigns. They recently ran the campaign for Rick Caruso. They ran uh, Kamala Harris's presidential campaign. So LaFonza Butler is no stranger to Gavin Newsom and those of, you know, in his political circle. And given that, uh, you know, Senator Butler has this close affiliation with these uh, Democratic strategists and campaign managers, given her connection to the unions and to Emily's list, everyone is pretty much expecting that she's going to run for this office. Mm -hmm. uh, she has about 60 days or so before she has to make that decision, but she will be coming into it late. Uh, Adam Schiff, I think I read, has about $30 million. Maybe Katie Porter, Porter has about 10 uh, Adam and Katie at this moment are considered the front runners, one and two, uh, depending on who you ask. Uh, but what might a Senator Butler, uh, her candidacy for the seat, if she jumped in next month, November, how do you think that changes the dynamics, not just for a Congresswoman Lee, but for the other two Democrats? I mean, I think it changes it really dramatically. I mean, I think one of the things we've seen over the last couple of days is just how popular and how excited a lot of people are about Senator Butler. I mean, I think a lot of people who are not in you know, the political class or political circles may not have known her name or not in union circles here in California. But, you know, I think as people have read more about her and understand who she is, I think you see the excitement. I think you're, she's going to, just by virtue of her, you know, ties to labor. And as you mentioned, ties to, um, you know, Bear Star Strategies, which is um, Gavin Newsom's uh, advisory team. She's going to have a lot of access to a lot of capital, a lot of fundraising really early. She's going to have access to a lot of um, very prominent politicians, people who could speak on her behalf, who could endorse her. Um, I think after she was announced, I mean, I think pretty much every politician in the state was like, except for, I guess, Barbara Lee, was like, and actually Barbara Lee, too, but was, we're very excited about her. And she's got, you know, she's known nationally. So I think she would really shake up this race. And I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hill to climb running for Senate anyway, much less doing it in a short compressed time frame like she would have to do it. But I think she'd really be able to mount a serious campaign if she decided to do it. Yeah. And, you know, Robert Lee, I did see issue a very positive statement about her. Uh, and I know she, a campaign team, obviously are, are huddling and trying to decide what a senator Butler does to any chances that Barbara Lee may have. And we may ultimately see a Congresswoman Lee bow out of the race. I mean, that's not inconceivable. We have seen that happen. She may decide that, you know, given how far behind she is in both polling and money, that she'd be better served supporting someone like Senator Burr. However, I don't see that happening with Katie Porter or Adam Schiff. And you mentioned those prominent politicians. There have been some endorsements already made 
for both of those. Uh, when we come forward, we want to talk about how this could complicate uh, the endorsement process and national Democrats, obviously many of whom are very, very fond of the work that we saw Adam Schiff do as it relates to the impeachment of Donald Trump and Katie Porter herself has a national reputation for being a brilliant uh, congresswoman. So lots to discuss as it relates to what Senator Butler would do to the California race for Senate, but also the national Democrats. How might they respond if they've got to make choices between these four prominent Democrats? Stay with us when we come forward. More on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and L.A. columnist Erica Smith is joining me. We're talking about the recent appointment of Senator now, LaFonza Butler, to the U.S. Senate after the passing of Dianne Feinstein. That appointment was made by California Governor Gavin Newsom. He had made a promise back in 21 uh, after he appointed Alex Padilla, a Latino man, to the seat that was vacated by Kamala Harris, that if Senator Feinstein resigned because of her illness, that he would make the next appointment a black woman. And he made that pronouncement. Then just recently he said, well, it's going to be a black woman, but the person's got to make a commitment not to run. Uh, he took a lot of flack for that. And a lot of high level elected black women in California said, look, we're not interested in just being a 15 month caretaker. Gavin Newsom then goes back again and says, well, you don't have to be a caretaker. I won't make any conditions. If I appoint you, you can run, not run. It'll be your decision. And then he makes the surprise appointment of LaFonza Butler, someone who is very close to him in lots of ways because of uh, political strategists that he shares that she actually used to work for. So I'm just wondering, Erica, what's in this for Gavin Newsom? Gavin Newsom doesn't do very much that doesn't benefit him. So I'm not naive enough to think this was all about, you know, satisfying black women. Uh, he was pushed to do make the commitment because of the way we responded by him not appointing a black woman to the seat vacated by VP Harris. So what's your thoughts about you know, disappointment that caught everybody by surprise. Even Maxine Waters, a senior member of Congress, joined me earlier, said she certainly didn't see this coming. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as you said, everything that Newsom does is aimed to benefit him and his political aspirations. And I just think that he sees LaFonza Butler as more of an asset, frankly, than than Barbara Lee. Um, I think, uh, you know, if he and when I say when he does run for president and assuming for the moment that Senator Butler does run for election and, you know, and wins, you know, you can envision a time when you have a, a president Newsom, you know, relying on somebody in the Senate like um, a Senator Butler with all of her connections to be able to help him out and pushing bills through and policy. Um, there's also just the fundraising factor. I mean, she's got this ability to be in connections with um, not only so much of the political establishment and labor and every other, everybody else, but also just the ability to raise, you know, high amounts of money. I mean, that's part of a good chunk of what Emily's list where she was president does. So I think he, and she's also, we can't forget the demographics of who she is. Not only is she a black woman, but she's in her forties. So she's, you know, going to be there for a while. Um, she's also um, a lesbian. And that also checks a lot of boxes in terms of different communities that he can say, look, I appointed this woman who is a first. And this is these are the reasons why you should support me. Um, and you don't get a lot of that with a Barbara Lee um, who's, you know, 
approaching 80 and um, granted very experienced and has a lot to that she could give as a senator, but doesn't have the kind of same excitement that we've seen over the last few days about uh, Senator Butler. So black women who, again, were pressing Gavin Newsom to, uh, you know, live up to his word and appoint someone who could run for the seat and not be limited to a caretaker role based on, you know, your uh, conversations or communications that you've had with black women on the ground here in California. Are they, is this the appointment that they wanted? Is, you know, is this satisfying them that Gavin Newsom kept his word? I would say for a lot of people, it's the appointment they didn't know they wanted. <laughs> and that's a, you know, I think people just assumed because Barbara Lee's name was such, you know, it's been the one bandied about for, you know, since 2021, if not before that, that everybody kind of assumed that, you know, if he's going to appoint a black woman, it's probably going to be Barbara Lee. Um, things, of course, changed in a hurry on Friday when, you know, Senator Feinstein you know, passed away and suddenly it was other names came into the mix. But I think that, you know, just the reaction we've seen to Senator Butler, that she has all these different qualities and she is so well liked and respected that, you know, it's hard for a lot of people that I've spoken to to say, you know, we don't really want her. They're excited about her. Um, and I think that people feel torn. I think you used the phrase mixed emotions earlier today. I mean, I think people want to support Barbara Lee because she has, you know, quote unquote, paid her dues and she, has done well for the state of California, but, you know, I think people see, you know, the future in Senator Butler and it's hard to kind of, once you see that, to kind of close your eyes and turn away from that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, the Democratic Party uh, likes hierarchy. They like this notion of people waiting their turn. We saw it with Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. Uh, you know, we, we've seen it on in so many instances where there is a senior member uh, in the party that is, you know, expected to be the next person promoted. But we've also seen where, uh, you know, the party has said, no, it's time for new leadership. I'm thinking of Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, when Nancy Pelosi mm -hmm. was stepping down as speaker, there were thoughts about, uh, you know, Congressman Clyburn and Heiner and some of the other more senior congressional leaders on the dim side that they would be promoted to speaker but the three top dims that were given those jobs were all what I'll call kind of a you know different generation Hakeem is not 40 he's in his 50s uh, but obviously a lot younger than Congressman Clyburn so uh, it's not unprecedented for Democrats to say yeah it is time for new leadership and for someone like Nancy Pelosi or in this case maybe Barbara Lee says yes I did want it uh, I didn't get it, but here is a next generation leader that I think can represent the people of the state of California and, you know, make history as she already has. It's the first, as you said, openly gay woman. And now, you know, for the first time in history, we have four black senators serving. And if uh, Marilyn elects uh, a black woman who's leading in the polls and Delaware, uh, you know, Lex, a black woman is leading the polls. We could literally have six black senators right? yeah. overnight. I mean, which would yeah. be unbelievable. So what are the chances that the, the old guard, that Nancy Pelosi calls Barbara Lee and said, Barbara, you know, I had to do it. <laughs> Let me tell you, girl, 
know how I did it. Let's have tea. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I mean, I do think it, it, some of this is a reaction to the fact of, you know, that so many people in Congress, leadership in Congress are just getting older and I and people aren't getting out of the way. You know, I think, I mean, unfortunately, like I mean, if you look at, you know, Senator Feinstein, it unfortunately took her dying in office for her to, you know, vacate that seat, you know, and you can argue about whether that's right or wrong or indifferent. But I do think people are seeing that if they wait, they'll be waiting forever. And um, I don't think people are willing to do that anymore. And I, I do think you're going to start seeing more people jumping the line if people who are in their 70s and 80s continue to stay in office. So, you know, I think that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah, I, I don't know if Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Lee will do that. But I do think, uh, like I said, there's a model for that happening, what we saw with Nancy Pelosi. And she didn't give up her congressional seat. She said, in fact, she's going to run again. Uh, and she gets a lot of credit for having really helped Hakeem Jeffries, mentoring him, guiding him. You know, that what we saw today, him being able to keep Democratic caucus together to vote uh, Kevin McCarthy out. A lot of the credit, of course, is going to Hakeem Jeffries, but people are hearkening back to uh, how Nancy Pelosi prepared him for this role. So maybe this is a turning point. Maybe this is an inflection point for the party. And maybe we'll see a Barbara Lee seeing waters of our other very, very successful, very revered, respected uh, leaders come forward. And rather than try to resist change, open their arms and welcome it and see how they can be helpful. Uh, that's what I'm hoping for with respect to Senator Butler. But what about Gavin Newsom? Should black women be applauding him? Or, or what do you think? You wrote the article that <laughs> um, you know, you know, really took him to task before he changed. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I oh, mean, but, I, so so what, what's the next article? Do you do you applaud him or do you say whatever, dude? I mean, like, what do you I, say? You know, I think it's a combo. I mean, I you know, I wish I could, it could be that clear. I mean, he he did give us an appointment that again, like you know, people weren't didn't know they wanted, but now that they're happy, they have uh, Senator Butler. But at the same time, he made a mess of all of this, and he made it more complicated than it needed to be. And he's also you know created kind of a situation where we now have black women potentially pitted against other black women in this state um and people have mixed emotions and they don't and they're trying to make sense of it so he's you know it's in some ways all is well that ends well we have the person we want but you know it's still messy yeah and i don't think we let him off the hook Mm -hmm. i'm going to come down uh, on that side of this equation Mm -hmm. i think we continue to raise the issues that you know were created that he created the mess that he created uh by as you said now having some black women pitted against others and i think this could have been handled so much uh, better and differently and we call on our leaders to do that to, to to lead in these difficult times. And and Gavin Newsom, thank you for Senator Butler, but you know, do better, do better. All that confusion that, that his office creates, unnecessary, just do better. Oh, we're out of time. Always a pleasure to spend some time with you, Erica Smith. Make sure you check out her columns in the LA Times. Uh, we really appreciate your thoughtfulness and your insights. And thank you for joining me today.